0: This is Cody Daigle Oriens, and welcome to Bearded Fruit Unedited, the raw conversations that are edited down into the final versions of our podcasts. These conversations contain the outtakes that don't make it into our program, so if you enjoyed the completed episode, you might find something worth chewing on here. Enjoy, and make sure you follow us at www.beardedfruit.com for new episodes. Hi, this is Cody Daigle Orians. And this is Neil Daigle Orians. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. Yay! So, this week we're going to talk about Hillary Clinton. Yay, she's a fave. She's a problematic fave this week. We're going to talk about why she's a problematic fave this week uh, because this week Hillary Clinton made a major, major faux pas.
1: A gaff, if you will. A gaff. A
0: gay gaff. A gay gaff. Act
1: like a gay gasp, but a gaff.
0: It's a big gaff. So Hillary Clinton was speaking to reporters about Nancy Reagan's death and speaking about her legacy as a first lady. And in this interview with one of the the television reporters, um, she suggested that Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan began the national conversation about AIDS in this country in the 80s during the administration. So we'll uh, insert that soundbite to remember
1: how difficult it was for people to talk about HIV AIDS back in the 1980s and because of both President and Mrs. Reagan in particular Mrs. Reagan we started a national conversation when before nobody would talk about it nobody wanted to do
2: anything about it Uh, and you know that too is something that I really uh, appreciate uh, with her very effective low-key advocacy but it penetrated the public conscience and people began to say,
0: hey, we have to do something about this too. So, that's what she said. Um, Crediting the Reagans with beginning the national conversation about AIDS and uh, having what she calls quote, low-key activism. Uh, Now, anybody who is in the gay community and knows anything about the AIDS crisis and the history of it in this country knows that low-key activism is code for absolutely saying Nothing.
1: In fact, going out of your way to not say anything—it's right. more—it's more than just they didn't say anything; they actively refused to say anything.
0: Uh, so, of course, the gay community freaked out, attacking Clinton for misspeaking so misspeaking so deeply and and misrepresenting the real history of the AIDS crisis, which mm-hmm. decimated the gay community in the '80s and '90s. Um, she immediately apologized. She like,
1: did immediately apologize. But her initial apology was literally like in my speech, in, in, in my remarks, I said that Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan started, uh, HIV AIDS conversation. That was wrong. And for that, I'm sorry. And I remember just like, I remember reading that and being, and it, it, it sounds, it was like a tweet. She was gave a us tweet. 140 characters to apologize for completely misrepresenting the entire, HIV AIDS epidemic in the 80s, like completely misrepresenting it.
0: Yeah, the tweet, um, while the Reagans were strong advocates for stem cell research and finding a cure for Alzheimer's disease, I misspoke about their record on HIV and AIDS. For that, I'm sorry. And that was the totality of the apology, which also made certain segments of the uh, gay community really upset because it felt like it felt deeply inadequate. She did last night. Issue a much longer apology. She issued it on on Medium.com, and uh, here's something from that uh, the longer apology. To be clear, the Reagans did not start a national conversation about HIV and AIDS. That distinction belongs to generations of brave lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people, along with straight allies, who started not just a conversation but a movement that continues to this day. And uh, the this much longer essay length apology goes on to. Um, credit organizations like ACT UP and Gay Men's Health Crisis. She even mentions the silence equals death campaign, uh, the marches and the die-ins on the steps of city halls and vigils in the streets. She then also lays out her plan to get rid of AIDS and to, to deal with the AIDS crisis as it continues today.
1: Oh my God, she references PrEP.
0: She does. Bottoms for Hillary. she does. And um, this much longer apology was uh, infinitely better. It was a much it was an infinite improvement on mm-hmm. that original.
1: It word. reads a lot like a Wikipedia article, so if you're into that, go for it. And I definitely commend her for doing this. It just sucks that this wasn't the initial response, you know. and And it's refreshing, to say the least. it's It's very refreshing to see her own up to her mistake and then correct it. By educating because um, a lot of a lot of people who were responding to the gays anger about it didn't understand the history a lot of mm-hmm. straight people a lot of non-queer people they just they didn't understand the history so they didn't understand why we would be angry at such a mistake especially since she apologized so swiftly so it actually is kind of refreshing
0: I think also it's the long apology is a demonstration that she is aware of what the history is it's a it's a It's a tip of the hat to the gay community to say, listen, I do understand Mm -hmm. the intricacies of exactly how AIDS was treated in this country and how it was brought to the forefront by AIDS activists and not Mm -hmm. by the Reagan administration. But I do think there are segments of the gay population who do not really understand the history of
1: AIDS. Like, Like this moment, they continue to disproportionately impact communities of color, transgender people, young people and gay and bisexual men. That is so important.
0: So let's take a minute and talk about that history. Today, we're quite comfortable talking about HIV and AIDS. The disease is now seen as a chronic but manageable illness, and we've got a complex and rich language for talking about the disease. You can be undetectable. Your relationship can be discordant. You can debate the pros and cons of PrEP. HIV has a vernacular, and many of us in the LGBT community are conversant. But in the early years of the epidemic, the public conversation around HIV and AIDS sounded a lot more like this. Silence. The first documented cases of AIDS in the U.S. began appearing around 1980 on the coasts in San Francisco and New York. Gay newspapers like the New York Native were writing stories about a mysterious illness circulating among gay men, but mainstream news outlets were slow to cover the story. The New York Times published an article about the disease in July 1981. Rare cancer seen in 41 homosexuals introduced Times readers to a strange outbreak of Kaposi's sarcoma, but comforted readers that, quote, there was no apparent danger to non-homosexuals from contagion, The best evidence against contagion is that no cases have been reported to date outside the homosexual community or in women, By the end of 1981, when the article was published, over 120 people were known to have died of AIDS. 1981 was also the year that Ronald Reagan was sworn in as President of the United States. AIDS and the Reagan administration would essentially grow up together, and while AIDS would flower fast and spin out of control, the Reagan administration would essentially ignore that anything was happening. That silence would become one of the defining features of the AIDS crisis. The president wouldn't publicly mention AIDS until a speech in 1985. But as early as 1982, AIDS would come up in the White House press room. On October 15th, journalist Reverend Lester King solving. Asks the Reagan deputy press secretary Larry Speaks the very first public question about the AIDS epidemic.
2: Does the president have any reaction to the announcement of the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta that AIDS is now an epidemic in over 600 cases? uh, Over a third of them have died. It's known as gay plague. (laughs) <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's a pretty serious thing that uh, one in every three people that get this have died, and I wonder if the president is aware of it. I don't have it. Are you? Do you? Well, you don't have it. Well, I'm relieved to hear that. Well, yeah, do you? No, you didn't answer my was... question. Oh, How do you
0: know? In 1982, when the question was asked, there were over 600 deaths due to AIDS. By nineteen eighty four, the administration had allocated funds toward research, but still failed to take the epidemic seriously. Again, here's a recorded exchange between King Solving and Speaks. Lester's
2: beginning to circle now, he's moving in front. <clears throat> Go ahead. The Center for Disease Control in Atlanta oh. reports that, amazing that, amazing that, that an estimated, estimated 300,000 people have been exposed to AIDS, which can okay. be transmitted through saliva. Will the President, as Commander in Chief, take <laughs> steps to protect armed forces, food, <laughs> and medical services from uh, <laughs> AIDS patients or those who run the risk of spreading AIDS in the same manner that they forbid typhoid? fever people from uh, being involved in the health or food services for Well <coughs> is, is, is the President concerned about this subject, Larry? That seems really to have expressed evoked Reaction here. I you know, I haven't heard it him isn't him only the jocks, Lester.
0: Is he sworn off water pluses? No, then? but I mean is he gonna
2: do anything, Larry? It, it, Lester, I've not heard him express anything on sorry. He has no uh, no expressed no opinion about this epidemic. No,
0: but I must confess I haven't asked him about it. <laughs>
2: Would you ask him, Larry? Back this gonna, have you been checked? In nineteen eighty four,
0: over fifty five hundred deaths were attributed to AIDS. In 1985, the president finally mentioned AIDS for the very first time in a public speech. But the crisis was becoming hard to ignore. Ryan White, a 13-year-old hemophiliac, contracted the disease through a blood transfusion and was barred from his school in Indiana due to AIDS hysteria. 1985 was also the year actor Rock Hudson, a friend of the Reagans, died of AIDS. In 1985, there were also over 15,000 dead from AIDS. In February 1986, President Reagan instructed his Surgeon General C. Everett Koop to prepare a report on AIDS. The administration was finally making small steps toward recognizing AIDS as a public health threat. On April 2nd, President Reagan appeared before the College of Physicians in Philadelphia to deliver his first major speech on AIDS, calling it, quote, public enemy number one. There were over 24,000 dead from AIDS. To put this government and public inaction in perspective, in October 1982, seven people died after taking Tylenol capsules that had been laced with cyanide. The New York Times wrote a front-page story about the Tylenol scare every day in October and produced 33 more stories about the issue after that. In October 1982, with the number of AIDS-related deaths already in the hundreds, the New York Times had only written three stories about AIDS in the previous year and three more stories that year about AIDS. None on the front page.
1: Good for you.
0: Yeah, and so the... <clears throat> what I think is most interesting about this moment is not necessarily that she made a mistake and, um, and we should crucify her for that mistake because politicians misspeak all the time. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was an interesting moment for the gay community specifically because this really is is a story that is focused around gay men because the, the a- HIV crisis... Um, Disproportionately affected gay men in the early '80s, mm-hmm. and that was the. Isn't
1: this also coming off the heels of like patient zero being exonerated or what have you? Yes,
0: we recently did find out that the science scientists are suggesting that uh, Gayton Duga, who was always uh, credited as the patient zero for the AIDS epidemic in the in this country, w- was, was not actually patient zero; that it was mm-hmm. from um, elsewhere. So, yeah,
1: it's just it, it's it's interesting to. Um, I feel like HIV AIDS is outside of queer media is very rarely the forefront of conversation. Um, so in a weird way, her gaffe is actually kind of nice in that way. Like it's nice. It's, it's nice to, to see, um, non queer people discuss and figure out HIV AIDS because, um, even though it does disproportionately affect queer people, not, uh, just because it does disproportionately affect queer people hiv aids is not a queer seeking disease it will affect anybody and everybody um and there are plenty of straight people who have and cisgender people who have hiv aids and don't even know it because they don't even think about testing themselves and they spread it and they don't even think that they might have hiv aids because there is such a queer stigma Uh, so it's nice to have a national conversation about that yay hillary
0: so let's talk about let's talk about this gap in the context of something we talked about last week which was knowing your history and how it is incredibly important as a movement that we as LGBT people understand the history of our movement and how we got where we are, so we're living in this moment where the conversation around HIV and AIDS uh, is significantly different than it was in the '80s and the '90s. Now, AIDS is considered a pretty manageable disease, yep, and we treat it as though it's a very manageable and easy to handle part of queer life. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely not the case for the majority of our history of HIV and AIDS. And um, I feel like it's important in this moment to... Make sure that we, we to make sure that we use this moment as a teachable moment for all the the young members of the queer community who did not live through the worst parts of this. And to be fair, I didn't even live through the worst parts of this. And I'm forty. I mean, I came out in ninety four.
1: He's thirty nine.
0: I came out in ninety four, and by that point, we had the AIDS. I mean, the, we were
1: rent was already on Broadway.
0: Oh, God, it was, wasn't it? (laughs) You talk about rent so much.
1: I'm actually... It's a low-key goal of mine to talk about rent once an episode. Well, I'm going to edit that out.
0: Uh, Uh, Oh. Can we start over? All the way? Yeah. Why? I just feel like my brain is...
1: We can, like, take a break. Eh. I don't think we need to start over. I thought we've had some pretty good conversation. Okay. Oh, hey, we're back. I mean, we didn't take a break at all.
0: All right. So I want to talk about this very public gaffe about the HIV AIDS history and talk about it in the context of what we were speaking about last week, which is the importance of knowing our history as a movement. Um, This feels like a teachable moment. Um, apart from its connection to the politics of the upcoming election and Hillary's viability as a candidate and whether or not she is good for the LGBT community, this is a moment for everyone who doesn't know the history, especially those inside the LGBT movement, to take a second to be very clear about the beginning of the epidemic, what made it an epidemic in the first place, and who's responsible for the crisis getting so wildly out of control. Um it feels like we have evolved a conversation about HIV and AIDS that doesn't include the the size and scope of how horrible it was in the '80s. That we now treat AIDS as though it's a very manageable thing. It's something that you can can deal with very simply and very easily. We have drugs for it now. We have PrEP so that you can you can even manage a sort of more ambitious sex life because of it. Um, Thanks, Prep. It feels like this is an important moment to remind members of the community who didn't live through it and who weren't affected by it directly what happened in the 80s to tens of thousands of men.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And stuff. I don't know what to add to that.
0: (laughs) (coughs) So let's talk a little bit then about gays freaking out about Hillary Clinton. Um, Hashtag gays freaking out. Gays freaked out about this gaffe of Hillary Clinton. And rightfully so. And rightfully so. It launched a thousand blog posts and videos and Facebook statuses of people being very upset that she would dare say such a thing. And um, it felt to me like it was more about someone you thought was your friend. And someone you thought understood you, saying some really terrible things about you, and mm-hmm. finding out that they really don't understand you completely, mm-hmm. um, it felt like a betrayal. I think that yeah, was at the heart fair. of that.
1: Yeah i I saw a lot. Um, I especially saw a lot of my of of, of gay people um, on social media who are inherently Bernie Sanders supporters, just like laugh in like like their pleasure of how terrible this was and what it meant for the gay community in regards to their support of Hillary Clinton and it was just so extra like it it really was it was so unnecessary i it, it's totally understandable to be angry and i was i was upset about it too and i i was just like wow good job hillary but i wasn't about to freak out about it on social media and um especially after i, I I don't know. I just had a very internalized reaction to it. And I'm not saying that externalized reactions are in- inherently inferior to internalized reactions because that's, that's respectability politics, and I don't play that. But it it just seemed like it, – it, it, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. It just seemed – it, it seems so extra, and it seemed like there's – any anytime I see a lot of Hillary Clinton criticism coming from gays, I can't help but think that there is an underlying misogyny. You know, um, I'm not sure if that's related, but it just seemed like another opportunity to do that, to call her a bitch, call her a dumb bitch, things like that. It just seemed like it was another opportunity for gays to, uh, gays who don't support her already, to, um, to to say something about it and to be vocal
0: about it. Well I wasn't I wasn't I was comfortable sharing the story and talking about the story with social media pals and Twitter and Facebook because I thought it was very important to call attention to the misrepresentation of the history of AIDS. Mm -hmm. You know that it was really dumb. It was a really dumb thing to say. And I, and I think at the core of it, going back to that, like the notion of it's like your best friend saying something incredibly offensive to you. Hillary Clinton and, and really any democratic candidate is positioning themselves as the person who's going to be a friend to the LGBT community as president of the United States. And to have that person display in a, this moment what appeared to be such epic ignorance about the struggle of, that, of the community, was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I think that anger came out of a real sense of oh my god, this person who's going to be president doesn't even know how 20,000 people died on Reagan's watch and you know you're sitting there like cheering on good job with your low-key yeah. activism. So low-key it didn't even exist.
1: Yeah, that's really low Nancy Reagan put the B in subtle when it came to her HIV-AIDS activism. Yeah,
0: it was... And I, I I understood the response. I completely got it. For and sure. it made sense to me. And justifiably... And I thought it was very justifiable. That mm-hmm. response was justifiable. And I'm glad that the response from the gay community...
1: Prompted a longer apology. Prompted that
0: longer apology that really was clearer about the history of HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about what... As part of that gay response to this one moment. about what it means for Hillary Clinton as a candidate for president. Mm -hmm. As I saw in that response, not just people criticizing Hillary Clinton, but people saying Hillary Clinton said this dumb thing about AIDS. I'm mad. I'm never going to vote for her. I'm done with her. I'm out with the garbage. Forget you forever. And uh, there's something about that that feels really stupid to me.
1: Well, yeah, it's like it, it, it's like they expect Hillary Clinton to have just been born with all knowledge ever of history and what things are, especially like given the context of what the actual remark was on. She is a former first lady trying to say something nice about another first lady who's not even part of her party. Like, she... <clears throat> she may have misspoke, but she was trying to do a noble thing and in the context of that like, she made the gaffe she made the gaffe while trying to and, and the full quote, she talks about um, Alzheimer's and she talks about stem cells as well and kind of tacks on HIV AIDS at the end and it, 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 the reaction was kind of like they the, the gays were kind of treating it as if she gave this big dissertation on, on Reagan and his and Nancy Reagan's uh, activism for AIDS, and that's not true. It was like three sentences of her trying to be nice to to and about Nancy Reagan. Well, but uh,
0: what I'm interested in talking about is the refuse the 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 rejection. What I'm interested in talking about is gay voters rejecting Hillary Clinton on this one thing. Rejecting mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton as a viable presidential when candidate. When they have so
1: many other reasons. Right.
0: And, you know, mm-hmm. because Bernie Sanders, while has a lot of many fine points, uh, Bernie Sanders has no plan to deal with HIV AIDS domestically and globally. Mm-hmm. There is no clear plan for that. Hillary Clinton has that plan.
1: But to be fair, did she have that before today? Yes. Okay. Well, good for you, Hill.
0: Yeah. So... There is there is something a little uh, stab yourself in the eye about rejecting difficult. Hillary Clinton out of the box over this one misstatement mm-hmm. that she has immediately apologized for, then more lengthily apologized for with mm-hmm. a, an, a, an amending of the history and correcting the history.
1: Yeah, you're 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 talking about not supporting a person ever who actually whether. It's problematic or not does support marriage rights, does support all these other rights versus candidates who across the board on the other side literally want to repeal the Supreme Court decision about marriage equality and literally want to do all these things.
0: Well, let's be fair. The Republican candidates would want to repeal history. They I mean, would love to repeal the last 20 years and put his back. They would love to put his back in Reagan era Treatment of homosexuals and members of the LGBT community. They would love to put us all back into the closet Mm -hmm. and it's infinitely more dangerous for us to have Donald Trump or Ted Cruz in the White House dealing with gay issues than it would be to have Hillary Clinton who was trying to be nice to a dead white lady and made a mistake. Leave
1: Hillary alone.
0: Where is Chris Crocker when we need him?
1: <clears throat> oh, we know. He's like in Tennessee or something like that.
0: So, um, I, I'm gonna be interested to see going forward mm-hmm. how people how this plays into her candidacy and how this continues to play in the way the gay mm-hmm. community responds to her.
1: There are seriously like so many more valid criticisms of Hillary Clinton than this. There are so many more valid in, in regards to her voting record, in regards to other things, other statements that she's made that she hasn't retracted, such as, um, oh God, what's the one that she said about um, the mass incarceration of black people, that pe- uh, that statement? Ooh, Neil's turn to draw a blank. Um, God, let me just Google it real quick. Clearly, Clinton, not HIV, um, thug?
0: Are you talking about the super predator comment? Yeah,
1: yeah. So like, like she made these comments about super predator, and she she effectively helped pass legislation that led to the mass incarceration of mostly black people, and has yet to really say anything about that, but immediately apologizes for this gaffe. So like, there are just so many other valid reasons to criticize Clinton than this, and this is actually a very well. it's a very well handled thing that she did. She immediately apologized and then followed it up with this longer apology that better details the situation. And it, it is a learning moment and she's taking it as a, as a way to show that she is learning and also trying to teach others. So like she's really handling this well, all things considered.
0: Well, and I think in the end I'm content I think in the end, I'm content to allow the gay community and everybody on the left to, to continue this sort of schoolyard fight over Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Content to have that happen until we get to the general election and we find out who we're going to have. Then everybody better rally behind whoever the Democrat is. They can put anybody up there as far as a lamp. The lamp that I'm looking at now in your studio, that can be the Democratic nominee, and I will vote for that lamp.
1: Lamp, um, carpet, is my favorite uh, Democratic nominees. Uh, Lamp would be a really great president.
0: The lamp turns me on for America. That's
1: Turn on the light again.
0: The light again. Make America lit.
1: It's lit, fam. (laughs) Uh, We're so white. I'm sorry.
0: So, as always, if you... Are enjoying what you're... Uh. So, as always, you can find us on iTunes at Bearded Fruit. If you go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast, leave a review and leave some stars for us.
1: A couple of stars. A couple
0: of stars help us out. You can also find us on Facebook at Bearded Fruit. And you can find us on the web at www.beardedfruit.com.
1: Cue the music.
0: And we'll see you next week.
1: Bye. Love you.